Welcome to Seeking the Truth, where we explore how successful companies and business leaders use data to make confident decisions. Hosted by Darshna Shetty, VP of Product at Truve, a one-stop solution for income and employment verification. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Seeking the Truth podcast. I'm your host, Darshna Shetty. And today with me, I have a very dear friend and a very special guest, Kevin Moss. Kevin, welcome to the hey. show. Hey, great to be here. Kevin, I'll do a quick intro about you. And please keep me honest. You have a wide variety of experience. So I want to make sure I cover all of it. So you were a chief risk officer at SoFi and you retired very recently. You were there for three years. For three years. Three years, yeah. correct. And prior to that, you were uh, executive VP and a chief risk officer for all of credit compliance and operating risk for Wells Fargo Consumer Lending Group. And you were there for 17 17 years. years. 17 years. I also ran the home equity business for four years during the financial crisis. I ran deposit risk for a while, credit card, debit, like pretty much everything risk on the consumer side related. I had at some point in those 17 years. So that's great. And I also heard you say in passing that you taught in as a professor. Yeah, it's a it's a funny story. I was a, a graduate student at NYU. NYU? And I ended up taking over a class for a professor and I ended up teaching a graduate what would be called business analytics, quantitative analysis. And then I taught it uh, another two semesters at Montclair State College in New Jersey. So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> yeah teaching That's nice. is one of my favorite things to do. Do you still do it or is it something that you've, it's done? I've taught like risk classes at some banks and stuff. In the past, I used to teach a risk class at when I was at Wells Fargo, like in the one of the leadership development programs. So, yeah, I mean, it's something I love to do. I remember the first class I taught at NYU, when I substituted for this professor, I had a friend from undergrad, my friend Karen, and it was like six of those whiteboards. Uh, <laughs> and I stepped back looking, writing left to right, and my handwriting was crooked. Everybody's <laughs> head was turned a little bit the wrong way. And and after the class, I asked my friend Karen, it was like a graduate business school class in, in math, basically. And I said, how was that, Karen? And she said, Kevin, I didn't understand a word you said. <laughs> so so I started off pretty rough. I think I ended up okay, but it wasn't a natural, put it that way. So Yeah. Okay. And now you advise various companies, right? True being one of them, but there is SoCure and a few others that you are an advisor. Yeah, I'm on ads advisory board, uh, a bunch of fraud platforms, a bunch of lenders. I also work with PCG as a senior advisor. So I work with banks and service providers to banks. Fraud's been a hot area over the last year or two. A lot of fraud going on. So yeah, so I have fun. And obviously, Truve is one of my favorite companies to work with. I love the management of the team. And I think the income and employment space and uh, the things that you guys are doing uh, is very interesting and integral to both fraud and credit. 
Speaking of advising Truve, right? How did that happen? Tell us more. Why did you end up deciding, like deciding to advise Truve? I think I got to Truve through Jeremy Solomon at mm-hmm. uh, Nike. Nike, yeah, yeah. Jeremy's one of the one of my favorite people in the VC world, and we become friends. Jeremy used to work at SoFi. We just see eye to eye on a lot of things, and so he connected me to Kirill. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, like at this stage in my career, it's a lot of this is about really enjoying the people that you work with. I think yourself and Kirill and, and Colton when he was there, like it's just such a, a fun, smart, focused team that I just was very excited about the opportunity to help you guys. And I think uh, you guys are really good at executing and getting stuff done, which as an advisor and as a customer, th- mm-hmm. that's the kind of partner you're really looking for. It's great to have you as part of Team Truth, Kevin. We we are truly honored and the advice you've given has been always on point and amazing, amazing advice. We've always uh, listened to you along with our clients and uh, it's kind of you know, shaped our product strategy in a really good way. Um, well, and the well, company you know, strategy if you, too. <laughs> if you toss a coin, 50% of the time you're going to be right. Okay. Right. <laughs> so if I'm better than 50%, that's good. Okay? That's good. Cool. Let's actually talk about lending risk a little bit, pivoting a little bit into that. Uh, maybe to help the listeners, uh, maybe you can help define what lending risk is and what are the key factors to keep in mind when it comes to risk in terms of lending? Well, I, I think the OCC, which is the, one of the principal regulators for banks, you know, has a category of like eight to nine different risks. Yeah. So, so the ones that I would talk about today would most likely be credit. Credit's usually one of the biggest parts of a PL when it mm-hmm. c- comes to lending. Uh, if you don't do a good job managing credit risk, you don't really have a business in the long run. So credit's just, you know, and that's the likelihood that somebody is going to pay a loan back that you give to them, whether it's a consumer a commercial entity, a small business. Banks are in the business of managing credit risk and have been for a couple of centuries now and longer around the world. And so it's really important that people understand how to manage credit risk. Obviously, another place that can get you in a lot of trouble is compliance risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there are rules and regulations that everybody has to play by. If you cut corners around compliance, you know, maybe you feel like you you have some advantages in the short run, but in the long run, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff catches up with you. So you got to play by the rules. You got to be uh, very customer centric. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the two other areas, one is operational risk, mm-hmm. uh, which is really what I will call like execution risk, mm-hmm. uh, where products and services specifically you know, the design of your controls has to make sure that that you deliver and manage and service your products effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then underneath operational risk, there's a thing called fraud. And fraud is just one of several operational risks. And 
Fraud's a big deal, particularly in the digital lending world. There's, if you don't have good controls, fraud is something that could drive you out of business very quickly. So those are the, when I think about the risks that I focus on, less so on the compliance side. Yeah, I, I help companies. I think I'm, I have a really good working knowledge of all the rules and regulations, but that's not where I've focused my, my, uh, advising. My mm-hmm. advising is more in credit, operational risk, fraud, you know, in banking and, and consumer lending for the most part. Thanks for that, Kevin. And you talked a little bit about controls, right? So as a business, what are some of the controls that lenders need to keep in mind? I think to the extent that you can systematically do things, mm-hmm. while systematic solutions are not completely foolproof, they're more likely to be consistently applied than manual ones. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Truth's a a great, great example. If people are using pay stubs for income and employment verification. That's right. And they're doing it by having people, by people uploading Uploading. a PDF, Mm -hmm. and then somebody's looking at it. The chances are that people are going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But if you have the systematic way of actually reaching out to payroll companies and getting the income and getting the latest employment and the history and the job title and the things that you need to know, I think you're much more likely to make the right decisions about what someone's income really is. So to me, the controls are around making sure that you're actually executing what your intended outcome is. Mm-hmm. And systematic controls are just way better than manual ones, right? Even if you have people quality assuring the work that people do, you're going to have higher material defects in the key areas of uh, like calculating income uh, if you're doing it all manually. So that's why Truve and other automated solutions are a much better alternative. We were looking at pay stops and fraud detection and pay stops, right? We also do that as part of one of Truth Solution. And during that discovery process, Kevin, I found out that you can create a perfectly amazing ADP template pay stop online for $8 only. And it was quick and easy. And I had to create some to kind of test our own product, dog feed it. And it was a very fun exercise. I They have all kinds of templates for ADP, for Workday, for paychecks. It's amazing what 8Box can buy you out there. And that's why we rely on metadata. We don't look at just, you know, to the normal eye, it looks pretty on point, to your point. So that's something to be really aware of in this day and age. Well, you have to look at the metadata to see if anything has been altered. Yes. Uh, and then... You know, you can look at the pay stub. Sometimes people will take a real pay stub and alter some numbers and then things don't add up or, you know, they don't exactly understand all the outcomes of all the calculations. And that's, you know, that's why there's been some studies like Point Predictive does a lot of work in income fraud. And, you know, at times I think they've seen like 25 percent income Mm -hmm. fraud in the mortgage space and auto space. So, wow. so 
it can be a very significant issue mm -hmm. if you're exposed to it. And that's why having tools like Truve, having other tools to independently calculate and validate the income that somebody tells you that they have mm -hmm. uh, is, is a smart solution with minimizing the friction that it creates in the lending process. So speaking of the current economic cycle, right? It's been, you know, interest rates are at all time high, you know, mortgage, like people are not getting into refi or buying new homes. How does lending risk change economic cycles? Can you talk a little bit about that? Mortgage rates are the highest they've been in 29 years. And that's because we've been in a cycle of really low interest rates for a long time until really the last 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, it was an unrealistic cycle coming out of uh, the Great Recession that right. rates were so low for so long. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when rates go up, things like credit cards, which are variable rate, the payments go up because the interest component is higher. Mm -hmm. uh, home equity lines go up, mm -hmm. uh, arm resets go up. And so everybody's capacity to pay in a higher interest rate, higher inflation environment gets stretched. And unless you're making a lot of money where it doesn't impact you very much, mm -hmm. everybody is feeling the results of higher food costs, higher energy costs, just higher costs to live. And so if you have outstanding loans to people, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to increase the probability that those loans may be at risk. And so over the last couple of years, we've seen delinquency in credit cards come up past pre-COVID. We've seen auto get stressed, particularly in non-prime, now used cars. Mm -hmm. Personal loans were stressed. The last couple of quarters, they've come down, I think, because there's been considerable tightening. Mm -hmm. you know, the 21 and 22 vintages, fourth quarter excluded 22, are pretty stressed. And I would say banks are less impacted than fintechs are. Fintechs, fintechs. have been, and that's because fintechs are more aggressive in the subprime and near prime space than banks are. And, mm -hmm. and what happened with all the the deferrals and forbearances was that, and the natural disaster trade listings because of COVID, a lot of the credit scores got impacted mm -hmm. and scores were inflated. And that messed up a lot of the underwriting, uh, particularly in the non-prime space, where mm -hmm. a TU did a study that basically overlaid the 21 vintage versus the 17 and 18 pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. And the scores were 35 points. Fanage 4.0 was inflated 35 points. And even in the subprime side, it still underpredicted the, the rates of people going bad. So it's very, very significant right? Uh, in terms of it's a moving uh, environment. And now with the resumption of student loans, uh, starting October 1st, payment resumption, the government is not going to be reporting student loan delinquency, mm -hmm. which is going to exacerbate uh, the problem. If, if a credit file has student loans in it, we're not, the credit scores again are going to be inflated because we don't really know 
whether or not those loans will be delinquent or not. So, so yeah. it's a it's a very tough environment for risk people right now because mm-hmm. we have high inflation, although it's coming down. We have mm-hmm. higher interest rates. We have moving credit scores in terms of the score to odds relationship. We have credit builder trades that have created some noise as well in inflating credit scores. And then, you know, a year ago, people expected recession. Mm-hmm. I would say most people think we might avoid it, uh, but we got a war going on. We got uh, divided uh, politicians. Like, who knows really what what's going to happen next year? I think my personal view is I think we have a, a 20, 25% chance of recession in the next 12 months. So more likely to not happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how long rates stay up and how much further the economy slows, that's, you know, with new capital requirements, potentially on on larger banks, that could end up also tightening credit availability. So there's just a lot of moving parts right now mm-hmm. to really know where this is all going. My personal view is credit's going to continue to soften. Yeah. Uh, and people are going to have to offset that with tightening in credit to get, mm-hmm. you know, similar performance. So what would your advice be to lenders to de-risk their practices and, you know, tools, changes, you know, operating efficiencies, processes? What do they need to change to kind of de-risk against all these different moving pieces that could, you know, protect it impacts their business today, right? So yeah. Yeah, what so, did they do? Well, I think with the score, the traditional credit score inflation, I think this raises the question about the use of deposit transaction data, like yeah. cash flow uh, underwriting, underwriting. Been endorsed by the regulators. I work in this with the PRISM team. I'm a big fan of what they do. I'm a big fan of what Truve has with their attribute solution. Mm-hmm. And so, I think this is the time where starting to experiment with cash flow underwriting mm-hmm. uh, makes a lot of sense because adding that dimension along with the traditional credit bureau approach mm-hmm. to help you balance the the score inflation that's likely going to continue with the student loan reporting deferrals. Mm-hmm. So I think this is an important time to be uh, looking at that type of data. I also think that this is the time to be looking at improving the technology and automation in credit decisioning. And if you're using the work number, which is a mm-hmm. it's a good product, but it's very expensive mm-hmm. and you know, it only covers from my experience 30 to 35% of mm-hmm. your applicants. That's right. Uh, like using deposit aggregation as a way of looking at recurring deposits to estimate income or s- support the income that people state, using Truve for mm-hmm. income and employment verification with approximately 80% coverage, password protected, so it's permission data. Mm-hmm. Like this is the time to build out the waterfall when mm-hmm. times become stressed, it's more likely that people are going to stretch their incomes when applying for loans when they need them. So I think with little friction, trying mm-hmm. to invest in 
uh, building out the fraud controls that you need, as well as the income verification in situations where you do need to verify income. I think this is the time to be doing that type of stuff, like really investing in your decisioning process from the top of the funnel all the way down to the bottom. And like I said, I mentioned fraud. Mm -hmm. Fraud is a big deal. Uh, There's more and more identity theft. There's more and more first party fraud. There's more and more synthetic fraud. And so there's some great providers out there between Secure and Centrelink and NeuroID and Plaid's got some some good tools to look at. Like, I I think it's important that you look at all of these, that you're Mm -hmm. doing a bunch of proof of concept testing so that you know what are the best tools that work for your risks and your customers. Thanks for that overview, Kevin. Speaking of like forward looking, right? How do you think the state of lending is going to evolve in the next five years? And how do you see the technology evolving here? I think it's going to continue to to grow digitally. And, And so, you know, mortgage is sort of the last frontier, in my view. And yeah, there are digital mortgage processes, but I think there's still significant room to improve mm-hmm. those processes. And I think we're going to continue to see banks, branch distributions decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll always be branches and there'll always be a need to, to have branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good sources of deposits. There'll be people who want to talk to people face to face. So they'll never go away. But I mm-hmm. think I think the value of the digital channel is going to continue to grow. And banks, in my view, use the digital channels uh, more as a servicing mechanism than an origination mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's got to change. So Mm -hmm. I think banks are going to go to the cloud. They're going to modernize their core platforms. They're going to modernize their decision engines. Mm-hmm. And and that's over the next few years because of the funding cost advantage that banks have. Theoretically, that should help close the gap between mm-hmm. fintech lenders and, and banking providers. So I think this interest rate environment took away the key advantages that fintech lenders had mm-hmm. uh, because funding costs is so much more expensive for warehouse-funded uh, lenders than it is for deposit funded lenders. So Lending mm-hmm. Club, SoFi, you know, some others became banks really at the right time because mm-hmm. they've been able to use more and more deposits to fund their loans and give them a competitive advantage over other fintechs. I've also heard that a lot of your friends who are also in the credit business, they call you credit priest. <laughs> I don't know who... Well, I'm Jewish, first off, so it would be credit rabbi. Rabbi. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, look, I'm old. I've been around a long time. I've lived through some pretty tough cycles uh, over the last 38, 39 years. Uh, I was in the middle of the storm running the home equity business at, at Wells Fargo during the financial crisis. Right. And I got the scars to prove it. So. But the point is that what I truly believe is that 
the same mistakes are mm-hmm. just made over and over again over time. People have short memory. Mm-hmm. And it's it's recognizing when those situations arise and when they're similar or the same. And look, what I've learned as an advisor is I was always a first-line person responsible for the outcomes. As an advisor, you walk a tricky line between advising mm-hmm. uh, and but you don't own the outcomes. And so so I've learned over time, the best you can do is explain to people, you know, what you think and why. Mm -hmm. And then it's it's up to those firms to decide what to do in the long run. So, so yeah, I think I've seen uh, most possible situations at this point in my credit career, Mm -hmm. but there's always going to be new ones. Like the pandemic was a new one. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. And uh, the stimulus that we got out there was, mm-hmm. was nothing, everything like that ever, ever before. So I think you always climate risk is an area that I've done a little bit of work in. Uh, BCG is big in climate risk. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's exciting and new for me. So I think you're always learning and you're always growing, but you always have to recognize when a situation arises that's similar to something that you might have experienced at some other point in your career. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for joining us today. It was wonderful having you and speaking with you. I think your insights are amazing. I always learn something when I talk to you. So thank you for being here today. I appreciate, like I said, Truth's one of my truly favorite partners and anything I can do to help the firm, including these types of discussions I'm excited to do. So thank you for the chance to to be on the show with you. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to Seeking the Truve. You can keep up with the latest on our podcast at truve.com slash podcast or wherever you get your pods. We'll see you next time.